This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Uh, so today I'm going to be talking about acetaminophen. And you all know acetaminophen because it's the active drug in Tylenol. So each week, 50 million people take, uh, 50 million Americans take products that contain acetaminophen. To put that in perspective, that's the population of California and Ohio together. So a lot of people are taking this drug. And most people are taking it to relieve uh, minor aches and pains, headaches, and fever. But recent research, and this is really new research, so I want to emphasize it's not definitive yet, but it's intriguing, suggests that acetaminophen might have broader psychological effects. So in one study, and I wasn't involved in this work, but researchers uh, brought participants into the lab, and they scanned their brains while they were playing a game called Cyberball. And Cyberball is a ball-tossing uh, task. And the participants in this study thought that they were playing this game with two other people who were also getting their brain scanned. But in actuality, they were playing against the computer. Um, so I want you to imagine that you're a participant in this study. And you're represented by this hand at the bottom of the screen. And the two people that you think you're playing against are represented by those avatars. So you're just passing the ball to each other. And then at some point, this happens. The two other people just start passing the ball to each other, and they don't pass it to you. Now, this is just a meaningless (laughs) ball-passing task, right? But yet, when this happens, people feel rejected. And this rejection, this social rejection, feels painful. And because of that, people refer to social rejection as a form of social pain. So what I haven't told you is that some people in this study, they were given acetaminophen before this ball-tossing task, and then others um, weren't given the drug. And the researchers found that uh, the people who were given acetaminophen and the people who weren't given acetaminophen, they rated this rejection situation as equally painful. But yet, when they looked at the brain activation, the brain reactions, as people were playing this game, the people who were taking acetaminophen didn't seem to be responding. Their brains didn't seem to be responding as intensely to rejection. So this suggested to the researchers that acetaminophen might not be just blunting our perceptions of physical pain, but it also um, might affect our reactions to social pain. Now, a recent study followed up this work, and they had participants do a whole bunch of tasks And, um, you know, some people were given acetaminophen, others were given placebo. So they thought they might get acetaminophen, but they actually weren't given acetaminophen. And 
they read different scenarios such as this. And in these scenarios, the protagonists were going through a painful situation. So this is an example of a physical pain situation. So Chris was chopping vegetables for dinner. When his friend asked him a question, Chris turned to respond and slipped with the knife. The knife cut a huge slice in his finger that went to the bone. And here's an example of a scenario that causes social pain. So Bobby is new to school and joined the volleyball team. Tonight was their first match. At the end of a close game, the ball came right to Bobby for an easy play. He missed the ball and they lost the game. His teammates groaned and walked off the court. So interestingly, what these researchers found was that the people who were given acetaminophen didn't rate these scenarios as painful as those who were not given acetaminophen. One more study before I tell you about my research. So in this research, uh, the investigators had participants come into the lab and look at photographs. And some of the photographs were of positive images, such as kittens and, you know, beautiful natural scenes. And these weren't the actual images that people saw, but they were pretty close. And then other images were negative images. So like a snake staring directly at you, or just garbage all over the ground. And these researchers found that people who were given acetaminophen didn't respond as positively to the positive images, and they didn't respond as negatively to the negative images. So what this suggested to them is that acetaminophen doesn't just blunt our sensitivity to pain, but it might blunt our sensitivity to just emotional information, both positive and negative more generally. So in my lab here at UCSB, I'm really interested in how our group memberships, so the teams we belong to, our race, our ethnicity, our religion, how they influence how we perceive and evaluate other people. And I'm particularly interested in something called in-group positivity or in-group favoritism, which is a tendency uh, to prefer, feel more positive about people who are in our in-group, people that belong to our groups, than those who are in our out-group, people who don't belong to our groups. And I'm also interested in the negativity that people feel towards stereotyped out-groups. So I was really interested in this acetaminophen research that was coming out in the literature. And a couple years ago, I started to run some studies to see how acetaminophen might affect our responses to members of different groups. So I'm going to share three of those studies with you today. So in the first study I'm going to talk about, I wanted to know, does acetaminophen blunt in-group positivity? The logic here 
is that if acetaminophen is just blunting our positive emotions, maybe we're not going to express as much positivity towards in-group members compared to out-group members. In the second study, I wanted to know, well, if acetaminophen is also blunting our responses to negative information, are we not going to show, or participants not going to show, as much negativity to negatively stereotyped groups? Now, in these first two studies, I'm really getting at people's thoughts and feelings towards group members. But I also wanted to know, can acetaminophen actually have effects on our actions towards different group members? Can it affect our biases and behavior? So for this first study that looked at acetaminophen effects on in-group positivity, I brought people into the lab, and I did something that's really common when social psychologists like myself are studying in-group positivity. The people we brought into the lab, we wanted to assign them to novel groups that don't actually exist in the real world. And we wanted to see, do they show more positivity to the group that they were assigned versus the group that they weren't assigned, even though these aren't actual groups. So the group distinction that I used in my study was something that I called numerical estimation style. And I defined it as the tendency to either overestimate or underestimate the number of objects that people uh, see in their environment. Now, importantly, I told the participants in this study that approximately half the population are overestimators and half the population are underestimators. And that this numerical estimation style doesn't seem to be related to any other cognitive tendencies or personality traits. So what I was trying to do is I was trying to create a group distinction that seemed plausible, but yet arbitrary at the same time. People could feel like they could easily be assigned to one or the other. So then I told them that we actually have a test that we can do in the lab to see if you're an overestimator or an underestimator. And basically, they looked at several dot patterns on the computer, and the dots were presented too quickly for them to count up all the dots. And their task was just to estimate how many dots they saw in each dot pattern. And then at the end of several trials, the computer told them that with certainty, they were either an overestimator or an underestimator. In actuality, this was bogus feedback. Numerical estimation style doesn't exist as a real psychological difference as far as we know. This was just a way to separate people into groups. What we really cared about was whether separating people into groups would affect their perceptions of what they thought members of their in-group would look like. So particularly, if they were an overestimator, would they think an overestimator looks more positive 
uh, than if they were an underestimator. So this is how we assessed their perceptions of what they thought their in-group members and out-group members looked like. They did a face categorization task. And on each trial during the task, they saw two pairs of faces. Each face was generated by taking an average male face and superimposing visual noise on top of that uh, image. Basically, this is grayscale, black and white noise. And what that noise does is it distorts the features on that average face. So we can create a bunch of faces that look slightly different from each other. And some of the faces are going to look more trustworthy. Some are going to look more dominant. Some are going to look more mean. Some are going to look more attractive, etc. And we were just trying to see which faces people chose to be overestimators. And then what we could do was we could take the faces that people chose and we could average those faces together. And that gave us an indication of what people thought their in-group or out-group looked like. So let me show you the results for the placebo group. So here's the face that we were able to generate that was a visualization of what our participants thought an overestimator looked like if they were told they were an overestimator. And this is the face that was generated by the participants who were told that they were underestimators, but they had to pick out overestimators. So as you can see here, I hope it's visually apparent to you, that we're getting this in-group positivity effect in our placebo group. The in-group face is more pleasant, more positive than the out-group face. But what we were most interested in is what about the people that were given acetaminophen? Would they show this same in-group bias in their representation of these groups? And it didn't seem to be the case. So you don't see as strong of an in-group Um, positivity effect when people are given acetaminophen. Now, this was just kind of what we determined by looking at the faces, but we wanted to objectively characterize that acetaminophen was indeed blunting in-group positivity. So what we did was we had independent raters who didn't know how these faces were generated rate them on a whole bunch of trait dimensions uh, that past research had suggested is really important for evaluating faces. So trustworthiness, caring, dominance, intelligence, attractiveness, sociability. And here what I'm graphing is the ratings of all four faces that I showed you. And the more positive the rating, that means the more positive the image uh, was rated. And consistent with our impressions from just looking at the faces, you can see that when people are given the uh, placebo, the in-group face was rated more positively than the out-group face. But there wasn't that difference 
in the acetaminophen condition. So does acetaminophen blunt in-group positivity? Well, I'm going to give that a lowercase yes here. And the reason that just a lowercase yes is because it's just one study, so these results are encouraging, but they're still tentative. So now I want to tell you about the second study. So to remind you, in this study, we wanted to know, does acetaminophen blunt negativity towards negatively stereotyped groups? So for this, uh, for this particular study, we were focusing on mostly white participants' perceptions of African Americans. And the reason we were doing that is because historically in the United States, African Americans are a negatively stereotyped group. Um, and you know, recent police shootings uh, are an unfortunate reminder of that fact. So we had the participants in this study do the same face categorization task. But instead of picking out the faces that they thought looked like overestimators, they picked out the faces that to them looked most African-American. And we wanted to see, are the people who were given acetaminophen, are they going to pick less negative-looking faces for the prototypical African-American faces uh, because acetaminophen was blunting some negativity that these white participants might be feeling towards African-Americans. Now, in this study, again, the faces were generated by taking an average black face and putting uh, visual noise on that face to create slightly different images. Um, The idea, in terms of how we analyzed uh, this data, was similar to the first study that I told you about. And these are our results. So these effects are, are more subtle. They're kind of difficult to see with the naked eye here. Uh, the faces don't look that different from each other. Uh, that shouldn't be surprising, because in the first study, we had made up these groups, overestimator and underestimator. People didn't know anything about them before they came into the lab. Here, we're talking about an established racial group that people have actually thought about a lot. So acetaminophen shouldn't be pushing around people's representation of established groups like race uh, very easily. But what's interesting here is when we had these faces rated, the acetaminophen um, face, almost on all the different traits, was rated more positively than the placebo face. So again, this suggested to us that acetaminophen might blunt negativity that people have towards uh, negatively stereotyped groups. And again, this is just one study, so I don't want to make too much about it, uh, too much of it, but yet uh, I think it's really intriguing. So in this final study, I wanted to see, do these biases that we have in our thoughts and our feelings, they translate to actual behavior? So for this study... We brought people into the lab, and we separated them into groups of three. 
Now, we didn't use the overestimator and underestimator groups here. We simply told them that they're either on the circle team or the triangle team. And then all the participants were given $5. And they went to uh, individual computers. And they had to make some monetary decisions. So basically, they had to decide how much of the $5 do they want to keep for themselves, how much do they want to put in pot A, and how much do they want to put in pot B. So all the money that they decided to keep for themselves, they were guaranteed to get at the end of the study. So if they kept $3 for themselves, they would definitely get $3 at the end of the study. Now, for pot A, any money they contributed was multiplied by 1.5 and then split among themselves and the other members of their group. So if you were a participant in this study and you put $1 into pot A, that dollar became $1.50, and then each person in your group, including yourself, would get 50 cents. So here, if you contribute money to pot A, you're sacrificing some of your money, but your group is actually collectively making more money. So the amount of money that you give to pot A is an indication of how attached you are to your group, how much you're willing to sacrifice for your in-group. Now pot B was similar to pot A. Any money you gave was multiplied by 1.5 and then split between your group members. However, there was one additional wrinkle. The same amount of money that was split between your group members was also subtracted from the totals of the outgroup. So basically, what pot B allows us to figure out is how much people are interested in harming their outgroup above and beyond helping their in-group. So let me show you the results for the placebo condition. So basically, people decided on average to keep about half of the money, a little bit less than half the money for themselves. So they were given $5. They kept a little bit less than $2.50. Interestingly, they gave almost the same amount to pot A to help their in-group and didn't really put much in pot B. They didn't seem to be that interested in harming their outgroup. So this result is actually similar to other research that's been conducted before. But we wanted to see what would people do who were given acetaminophen. Well, they actually acted pretty much the same way. So acetaminophen did not seem to have any influences on their um, behavior in this group situation. So to summarize here, we have some evidence 
that acetaminophen might blunt our positive feelings that we have towards in-group members. We have some evidence that acetaminophen might blunt negative feelings we have to out-group members. But so far, we don't have any evidence that any of these biases translate to actual um, behavior. Now, of course, there are a lot of different behaviors relevant to acting um, towards in-group members and out-group members, and we just um, tested one of them here. So I want to talk about a couple remaining directions here. These are future directions where I see my research going. So one thing we have to figure out is we have to figure out how robust are these effects. Will these effects replicate? So can we run these studies again and get similar patterns? And right now in my lab, we're running a larger scale replication of that first study, that in-group positivity study I told you about. Another thing we're interested in is whether any of these effects are dose-dependent. And what I mean by that is if we give people... So I should mention that in these studies, we gave people 1,000 milligrams of acetaminophen, which is like an extra-strength dose of Tylenol. But if we give people a little bit less Tylenol or more Tylenol, acetaminophen, do we get similar effects or different effects? What about other drugs? So acetaminophen is not the only legal and illegal drug uh, that millions of Americans are taking. Um, you know, are there other drugs that might be influencing group behavior or, or cognitions and emotions that we haven't really studied? Now, I mentioned that we're running a large replication study. Um, on acetaminophen effects on in-group positivity. In that study, we're also actually giving people ibuprofen, which is another uh, painkiller like acetaminophen. So my lab is also interested in potential neural mechanisms. So if we can show that acetaminophen might be having some effects on how we feel towards our in-group and how we feel towards out-groups, What are the mechanisms here? How does that actually play out within the brain? And by doing similar studies with slightly different drugs that affect different neurochemical pathways, we can start to get some answers um, into how some of these effects might be emerging. Now, we're also interested in potential societal implications. And it's really too early to seriously be thinking about this. We need to do many more studies to really understand these effects. But let's say acetaminophen actually does influence our psychology when we're interacting with group members, and millions of people are taking this drug. How does it affect policy decisions, politics, moral judgments, etc.? So uh, this is what I wanted to share with you um, all today. Um, and I'm going to stick around for questions. Uh, but if you don't get an opportunity to ask me questions, uh, feel free to contact me. Check out um, our website. Um, 
our Twitter account. And I just want to thank um, collaborators of mine at Ohio State and also uh, my graduate students here at UCSB. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.